These are interesting times, <laughs> especially to talk about economics and our money. Uh, Steve and I have known each other forever. And two weeks ago when we talked about our conversation, something like that, our, our 401k was, was just brimming. Um, and we're feeling pretty good about getting on a plane and coming to San Diego. Well, that was two weeks ago. Well, it's changed. Here we are now. It's changed. <laughs> and, but we're building on a solid economy, a terrific economy that we haven't seen in a long time, maybe ever. And it's largely due to the accomplishments of the Trump administration. And I think to put everything we're experiencing right now in context, I want to talk with Steve about uh, how we got to where we are two weeks ago. And then a little bit later on, we're going to talk about, uh, about recent events and, and what that means for us. We're also going to be having a breakout session with Mark Skousen um, and, and John, uh, anyway, we'll come back to me, um, at 1.30. And we're going to have a big roundtable about this, big discussion. We'd like to have you all there, because you may know more about some of the things that are going right. on, particularly with the vi- virus than we do. So it would be a great way to interact on that topic. Steve? Welcome. Thanks for having me, Bill. Um, thanks for putting this great conference together, by the way. Isn't Bill a great chairman of this great organization? <laughs> but thanks for everything you've done. Um, so uh, let me just kind of start uh, by saying, you know, I saw the president uh, a few weeks ago um, with my buddy Larry Kudlow. By the way, Larry's the best man at my wedding, so he's my best friend in the world. Isn't it cool that Larry Kudlow is the most important economist in the world today? Yes. I mean, I, you know, that's pretty neat. <laughs> and so we were, you know, we're talking with the president, and, you know, it's so interesting because it was almost exactly four years ago that Larry and I started working with Trump, you know, putting this economic plan together. And I've been thinking about this, Bill, about here we are four years later, and, and I said this to the president, I said, this stuff is actually working better than I thought it would. You know, it's, it has been an incre- incredible uh, economic uh, boom that we're living in. There is a big difference between a recovery and a boom. And by the way, we'll talk, I mean, look, the last two weeks has changed things a little bit, but th- I wanted to talk about how well the economy has done uh, in the last three years because it didn't happen by accident. This was a result of our policies. They really do work. So, uh, and then, Bill, why don't we just kind of have a conversation about Well, this you worked we on along. the tax policy with the administration right. when it came in. Yep. What, what were the key elements of that, and how has it played out? Sorry? The key elements of the tax so, policy. So, all right, well, let me show you. Uh, show, let, I'll start with that, and I've got a few charts, so um, I'm going to sk- skip forward to um, that. I'm we're an okay. economist. We have just a couple yeah, so, of charts. Yeah, so... So th- th- this was the critical thing. I mean, that the tax cuts, I-, I say there were like four things we did. We did the tax cuts, we did the change in uh, trade policy, we did the deregulation and the energy. So tax cuts were pretty fundamental. This is one of, by the way, these are, I, these are charts that I want to make available to everybody because they're a great way to argue with your liberal friends. But this is something we showed Trump. The blue line is just the h- highest tax rate in the United States over the last 50 years. And the red line is the share of taxes paid by the rich. And you can see, look, the blue line. I mean, so look what happened to Reagan. Is that amazing? We took the highest tax rate from 70 to 50, then down to 28 percent. I mean, that's a gigantic reduction. And the red line shows what happened to tax revenues paid by the rich. Isn't that amazing? 
It's like a paradox. As the tax rates went down, the share of taxes paid by the rich went up because the economy boomed exactly as we had predicted. That's called the Laffer curve effect, and it really does work. And then many of you have seen this. I'd love to just show this. My favorite quote from modern economics. It's John F. Kennedy. is a paradoxical truth that rates are too high and revenues are too low, and the soundest way to raise the revenues in the long run is to cut the rates now. Can anybody think of a single Democrat alive today who believes that? I mean, uh, by the way, if John F. Kennedy were alive today, he would be a Republican. He would be a Republican. There is no doubt about that. Uh, and so then like, this is the, you know, you asked me about the tax cut. This is it, uh, Bill. So the black line, this isn't, you know, the black line on the top, that was the federal tax rate uh, for the last 40 years under the United States, the, the federal and state rate. And the green pillars you're looking at, those are the declines in the uh, rates that were charged by all the countries that we compete with. That's China and India and Mexico and Europe and Australia and all the major countries we com- compete with. And we showed Trump this and we said, look what's happening, sir. The, the, all these other countries are cutting their rates. They're, they're involved in kind of Reaganomics. And the reason they were doing this is cutting their tax rates bill was to steal our jobs and our factories. So what did cutting the corporate tax rate do for investment, productivity, growth here in the United States? So it's a great point. So look at where we were in 2016, right when when Trump came to office. We were at 40%, and the rest of the world was at closer to 20%. So it was almost like we were putting a 20%. The way uh, we put it to Trump is that's like putting a 20% tariff on your own goods and services. Right? Who does that? That's just economic masochism. And we showed this to Trump. I mean, kind of great story, Bill. And we said to Trump, you know... um, uh, we recommend that you cut that tax rate from 40 to 20 percent so that we're, you know, we're the rest of the world. 40 to 28, okay. From, from 40 to 20, because that yeah. would put us yeah. like, and it's such a classic moment. And Trump sits back and says, no. He said, I want 15 <laughs> percent. That was the first time anybody wanted to cut rates more than Larry Kudlow and I. So we said 15. Interesting. <laughs> it, that was the plan. And really, this is an interesting insight about Donald Trump. You've heard me t- tell this, but it's a great little story. So we said, OK, uh, Donald. We called him Donald back then when he was candidate. Now we call him President Trump. And we said, if you want 15, we'll put it in the plan. And from that moment until the, we passed the tax bill on December 20th, 2017, Trump was always at 15. Every speech he gave, every declaration, every member, meeting he had with members of Congress, 15, 15. He even said to Paul Ryan and, uh, and um, Mitch McConnell, don't even bother to send me a tax bill if it doesn't have that 15% rate. Well, it's December 17th, 2017. You all remember that we, we needed to get 50 votes in the Senate to get it passed. And remember, we only come up with 49 on Obamacare. And we're sitting there in the, uh, in the White House waiting for Mitch McConnell to come back to tell us if he had those 50 votes. And he walks right into the press and he said, Mr. President, I'm so sorry I failed you. I did everything I could. And I know you're going to be so uh, uh, you know, uh, mad about this. He said, um, but I failed you. I couldn't get you that 15% tax rate. He said, would you take 20%? And Trump kind of jumps out of his chair. I'll take that in the New York minute. You know, he was so happy. <laughs> and I learned something, something from that meeting that if you want to understand Donald Trump, you have to read the book, right? What's his book? The Art of the Deal. And it's so interesting because I do believe, I always say, thank God Donald Trump did not listen to our advice and take 20. Because if we'd started at 20, we would have probably ended up at 25. So we ended up at 20. And now what's happening is we're just sucking in capital from the rest of the world. Bill, one statistic that's a great one yeah. that we should all use. Since we did this tax cut, remember we did something called the repatriation where we let countries, companies bring money back to the United States at a 10% tax rate. Bill, you know how much money we brought back? 
over a trillion dollars. Yeah, I was going to say a trillion. A trillion yeah. dollars, folks. Yeah. I mean, you don't think this stuff works? How many jobs can be created with one trillion dollars? So that, that was one of the most important things that we did, I think. So what's been the fast forward? It, it cut it. We brought back some, uh, some capital. We brought back jobs. What's it done for productivity? Or Well, let me show you what's going on um, with that because I think it's – by the way, I, th- these are kind of fun ones. Um, you know, in terms of whether – whoops – whether there's been a Trump effect on the economy. Um, why is that not? Oh, sorry, I'm pushing the wrong button. Um, look at this. Remember, these are all the predictions that I always, have you noticed lately that people are saying, because we've got this booming economy, have you listened to what the liberals are saying now? Right? How many of you heard him say this? It's the Obama economy, right? You know, that's what they're saying now. Trump well, just tweeted Obama, that out. Obama himself said that. Yeah, he tweeted it out last week. He now, said, I now, said... Now, is he going to own this economy? <laughs> exactly. Uh, as soon as he said that, the market started to fall. But look at these predictions by people. You know, uh, if Trump wins, there's a market crash. And, and this is my favorite one. A President Trump will destroy the world economy, right? This is what they, remember this? This is what they said during the campaign. Now we've got the best economy in 50 years, and and so now they're taking uh, credit for it. And I was asked recently, Steve, do you think that this is, uh, 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 when I was doing CNN, do you think that this is just the Obama effect? I said, yes, this is the Obama effect. It's the effect that Barack Obama is no longer president of the United States. That's why we have this great economy. Um, But... You, you asked me what's yeah, this, this is, this look is at this. the chart I want to So look to at this. This is one I showed to Trump just a few weeks ago. He, he was doing cartwheels in the, in the Oval Office. This is what's happened to blue-collar jobs. This is, Trump is a blue-collar working-class president. We're the ones who represent the interests of the working class. They don't care about working-class Americans. And look at what's happened with mining jobs, construction jobs, and, uh, and manufacturing jobs. 1.5 million new blue-collar jobs since Trump took office. That's an amazing one. Then you all know this. Our, quote, uh, racist president has created the lowest black, Hispanic, and Asian unemployment rate in recorded history. Does that sound like the policy of a, of a, um, of a racist? And then just, you know, what has been the effect? This is my favorite one. Look at the small business optimism, folks. This was taken 24 hours, this poll. You see where the red line just goes straight up on that chart? Uh, that was 24 hours after Trump was elected. I still think he's got about a 65% approval rating among uh, small businesses. Exactly. Yeah. And look at it. Not all, by the way, ask the people who do that poll at NFIB. They yeah. said they've been doing that for 50 years. They've never seen anything like that leap up in confidence. And it has remained positive ever since. And then the other one in the bottom corner, uh, Bill, is how do American people feel about the economy? This is another poll that's been taken for the last 50 years. Under Obama, under that, you know, under the, the, the Messiah, that never got over 34%. Never in eight years did the number of people who thought the economy was good or great, the, the highest number was 34%. Anybody know what? This is a little out of date, by the way. I apologize. The latest numbers just came out about three weeks ago. The percentage of Americans who rate the economy as good or great today is 71%. 71%. So there's been a real effect so, on the economy. You know, we can, we can get pretty wonky about fiscal, monetary yep. policy, trade policy, that sort of thing. But there's another policy that I think is important called rhetorical policy. The what? Rhetorical. Yes. I'm making this up yes. as I go. Um, <laughs> it's when you have a president who says to you, you didn't start your own company. Somebody else did right. that for you. You tend to think... But you don't think very good about it. Trump has come in, and what do you think just the effect, I know what I think, obviously, but what do you think the effect has been just talking up the economy, talking to people? 
How much of the factor do you think is that in terms of the numbers? You know, it's so interesting you ask that, Bill, because you and I worked on the transition. Remember when Trump came in? You were one of the head, Bill did an amazing job. He was the head of the transition. I was a small cog in that. But we remember, did plans for 26 agencies and are not yeah. doing any of the good stuff, but they're doing most. And of remember, it. you know, you had many of these more meetings than I did. Yeah. But it, what, the way the transition works is basically you sit across the table, right, from the outgoing administration at some point, and you kind of hand yeah. the football off. Right. And, remember, and the people that's when I saw firsthand, I mean, the, the Obama people hated business, right? They really regarded their job as to block our businesses from succeeding. Yeah. And, you know, you saw it firsthand. These were like, you know, just left, like left-wing activists who were running these agencies. When you put people in charge who actually want businesses to succeed, so when people ask me, Bill, what's the most important thing Trump has done, I think it's just the change, as you call it, the rhetorical effect. It's the attitudinal effect. Now businessmen, how many of you in this room own or operate a business? I mean, a huge number of you. You're the spinal cord of the American economy. It makes a big difference when you change from having a community organizer to an actual businessman in the White House, right? I mean, that makes a huge difference. And I think that's the number one factor, that people know that the, yeah. this administration is going to hit them over the head with a billy club. And I, it, was, it was Obama who said, as you just put it, you did not build that. And that is, that is just offensive to anybody in this room who has built a business, isn't it? It's offensive to say you did not build that. Pocahontas said it, too. She said it, too. Yeah, yeah. she said it, too. So you've done a lot of work on regulation. What's, the, what's life been like right. in the regulatory world with uh, so, President Trump? Uh, oh, by the way, let me just show you this. Yeah. This is a really cool one. This is maybe the most important reason Trump is going to win a massive reelection. This is middle-class incomes. I'm not talking about Bill Gates. I'm not talking about rich people like Warren Buffett or people like uh, you know, LeBron James or people like Bill Walton. <laughs> I'm talking about middle-class, median family income. Under Bush, I hate to tell you, it did nothing. Under Obama, it, it, raised, it increased by $1,000 in eight years. In three years in office, Donald Trump has raised middle class, median family income by $4,200. Can you believe that? So in half the time, he has raised incomes four times as fast as Obama. And I would submit to you, this is the single most important statistic that people pay attention to. What is happening in their wallet? As Reagan used to call it, um, you know, after-tax real income, and that's soared under Trump. Now, on the regulatory front, yeah. this is my favorite chart, and you had a big part of this, Bill. You look at how the trend in regulation under, uh, under uh, Obama, and in just the first two years, I don't have the third-year numbers yet, he's reduced regulations by one-third. By the way, I hate and to... And they're only doing about 25% of what we recommended. Exactly. Now, so there's a lot of low-hanging fruit but Trump still, to, still to come. Yeah, oh, there's a lot to be done. And by the way, Trump did lie to us because, remember, he said... Do you all remember what he said? If, uh, if I'm elected president, for every, two no, uh, for every new regulations, I'm going to repeal two. Do you all remember when he said that? He lied. For every new regulations, we repealed 22 regulations. <laughs> That's a pretty amazing uh, performance. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, let's do something specific. What's he done in the EPA? Uh, well, the most important thing he has done in EPA is shut down the war on coal, the war on oil, the war on gas. And by the way, the re- I'm so glad you asked about this. I think the, one of the most important issues we need to hammer the left on Every single day is this radical 
anti-fossil fuel agenda. We, are, we now in the United States have 9 million Americans who, who are employed in coal, oil, and gas. We have more oil and gas and coal than any other country in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the idea that we're going to shut this down, it's lunatic, right? I mean, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I'll show you another uh, chart on this, if, if I may. Um, this is what's happened with energy policy. Um, so look at, look at what's happened to our oil output. It's Ten years ago, we were importing $200 billion a year in oil and gas. Today, we are exporting $200 billion. We are, for the first time in 50 years, an oil and gas exporter. Thank you, Donald J. Trump. That's an amazing accomplishment. We are not going to shut that down. And, uh, oh, by the way, this is the fun one, Bill. I know we're running. These are the wells that are being, how many of you live in Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, in the Midwest? How many Midwesterns are here? So Pennsylvania and Ohio's economy have been totally rebuilt by the shale revolution. This is the Marcella Shale. And just to put this quick, see all the red and blue and green dots? Those are where all the wells have been drilled. Any New Yorkers in this room? Not a single New Yorker? Come on. Oh, there's All the New Yorkers one. There's one be on our yeah, side moved here. out. I'm sorry if you live in New York. But you see the Marcella Shale goes up into New York. Do you see the New York and Pennsylvania line there? That's You see all the wells? They're right at the Pennsylvania-New York border. New York has decided they're not going to allow any drilling. So capitalism is such a wonderful thing. You know what they're doing in Pennsylvania? You see they're all right there at the border? They're drilling down. They're going underneath New York, and they're taking out other oil and gas. Don't you love that? So this is totally... But no, seriously, there's a serious point here. How in the the world, if you're Bernie Sanders or uh, you know, or you're Bloomberg or you're Bern, uh, you know, any of the of the killer bees, you know, um, Biden, they've all basically said they're going to shut down oil and gas. We have to make the point that this is going to destroy jobs in Pennsylvania and Ohio, two of the most important uh, you know, battleground states. We are all in for drilling. And by the way, for those who think, oh, we can't do this because we have to worry about climate change, everybody has different opinions on this, but I will say this. This is one of the single greatest things. How many of you are with me on this? That one of the single greatest things Donald Trump did for our economy was pull America out of the anti-America Paris Climate Accord. Thank you, Donald Trump. That was an absolutely miserable deal. And Trump was a sage here, Bill. He, he like, sees the future. Remember what he said when it, he pulled out? He said, we're pulling out because none of these other countries are going to comply with the deal. Well, here we are three years later. And look at this. Not one country, not one of them is complying with the Paris Climate Accord. Not one of them. What a shock that a country would, would, you know, would violate a treaty. That never happens. And not only that, only five countries are even half of the way there. Now, here's the kicker on this, Bill. This is my favorite part of the story. I will give a free autographed copy of my, and you can't uh, answer this one because I know you know it. Um, What country of all the 50 largest countries in the world in the last three years has reduced its carbon emissions the most? Be honest. How many of you, raise your hand if you knew the answer to that, that the United States has reduced its carbon emissions more than, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, you can be excused because you never read that in the media, right? Did you know that, by the way, Bill? I, I, I knew it after you told me. Yeah, because no, people... <laughs> I raised my hand afterwards. We have reduced our carbon emissions more than any other country in the world. Now, for a bonus quiz question, there's a two-word answer to this, and shout it out if you know it. What is the reason that we're reducing our carbon emissions? I heard a lot of people, natural gas. It turns out natural gas is a wonder fuel. It's cheap, it's abundant, it's made in America, it's reliable, and it's clean burning. 
It's everything that you want in a fuel, right? And yet the left is against it. By the way, there's one other form of energy that we could use if climate change became you know, this disaster that AOC thinks it will be that, that would reduce our carbon emissions virtually to zero. And what is that? <laughs> Nuclear power. I call them the two ends. Nuclear power and natural gas. And by the way, the left is opposed to both of those, which means the real agenda here is to strut, shut down our capitalist free market economy. It's not to clean up the environment, right? I mean, this, there's a hidden agenda here. It's not about cleaning up in the environment. Well, let's talk about the media and their role in talking down the Trump economy. You, got, you wrote interestingly about Paul Krugman and uh, Steve Ratner and some other yeah, people. they were all wrong. Every one of them was wrong. Yeah. I mean, they were, we were right. <laughs> well, we were. Look, this is not rocket science, right? It's, it's as my son would say, this is not rocket surgery. You know, <laughs> this is this is very straightforward stuff. Free markets works. What what Mark Skousen was talking about is absolutely true. The the goose that lays the golden eggs is the free enterprise system. Trump deregulated. He cut taxes. He promoted American energy. And by the way, on trade, that's the other fourth stool of the table. You know, I actually think, you know, when I first met Trump, I, he, and he asked Larry to, and I to work for him, we said we, wouldn't, we didn't want to work for him because he was a protectionist. And I'll never forget, he said, no, look, I'm not a protectionist. I just want to create a better deals for the United States. And I got to tell you, this is a guy who taught me something about this because aren't you proud of what Trump has done with the U.S.-Canada-Mexico trade agreement and finally, finally getting a deal with China. We finally have a president who is standing up to China in a major, major way. So let's, let's bring us up to today, yep. elephant in the room, coronavirus, equity market uh, sell-off. I think what the market's looking at, they're looking at the supply chain issues, they're looking at the fact that China's 20% of world GDP. Yep. We don't really know what's going on in China. And the market in particular is in a, in a what-if mode. People are yeah, gaming yeah. out these fantastically negative scenarios. But we're not in a what-is scenario. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we know anything. And that's, that's why, if anybody of you know a lot about the coronavirus, then come to the breakout so we can learn about yeah. what the, st- the state of play is. What does this do to the Trump agenda? What does it do to uh, – yeah. how, how, how do we respond? So a couple of comments about that. First, the, one of the most important points we should learn about coronavirus is the sheer idiocy of this idea of Democrats – uh, you know, talking about Medicare for all and a government takeover of our healthcare system. Thank God we don't have a, gov- a government-run healthcare system like China does, right? I mean, that should be the takeaway here. China has seen this rap- rapid spread of this virus because China it has a repressive government that c- where the government controls the uh, the healthcare system, and so um, that's takeaway number one. We never, never, never want to have the government run our healthcare system, right? Never, ever, we're, we're going to allow that to happen. Um, second of all, um, we've seen. You know, I looked at the last four major viruses. We had what uh, MERS SARS. and SARS yeah. and Ebola, and the the pattern was pretty much the same in every case. Big sell-off in the stock market, Bill, when these things hit. Because there is a panic and people get afraid. And fear drives the stock market, right? It's fear and greed that drive the stock market. But what tended to happen in every single case is as soon as you had a treatment and as soon as you had a stabilization, the market just started to climb right back up again. And, you know, I think there's a strong possibility that that's going to happen. What we don't know, Bill, what's unknowable is whether that's going to happen in two weeks or two months or, God forbid, you know, six or nine months. Because we just don't know yet how severe this is. I will say this. Well, there have been about 26 market sell-offs since World War II. 
Yep. And the average decline has been about 13, 14 percent. I yep. think right now we're at about 10. Oh, I think 11. 11. So, so we're in that range. But the recovery has been within... Average recovery is almost as short as four months. Yeah, so when, when Trump came into office, when the day he was elected uh, president, a great story, by the way. Remember Paul Krugman? You all know who Paul Krugman is, right? The big left one. He said the day after the election, at 8 o'clock in the morning on MSNBC, I was watching, he, was, he said, will the, when will the stock market recover from uh, the Trump economy? Uh, and he said, never. Remember that? He said, it will never recover. By the way, half hour after he said that, the stock market went up 700 points, and it just started <laughs> climbing. So the Dow at that time was 18,000. It was up to 29,000. Remember, we were knocking at the door at Dow 30,000 until the virus hit. So even with the virus, we're at, what, Dow 25,000. We're still up 40% on the market, even with this big sell-off. Well, I think the thing about Krugman is that he's an actually, he's a great predictor of, of things economic. <laughs> that's true. Anytime he says this, yeah. you do that. Yeah, exactly. No, that's absolutely true. <laughs> and he says, he says, go left, you go right. <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. And, the, the, you know, these are the same people now. Who, you made a good point um, when we were talking earlier, Bill, that the, the danger is the left wants to call this, what, the Trump virus. Yeah, they, they're, they're, they're going to make this. Hit. They're yeah. going to make him own this. Uh, and but I think they do that at their own peril. I mean, Americans don't like politicizing a public health issue. And, and, and you know, you look at what. By the way, did you see what Nancy Pelosi said? She said, "Well, she wants to spend like fifteen billion dollars on all these, you know, government programs to deal with the virus." And she said, "Well, how?" He was asked, "Where are you going to get the money to do that?" And she said, oh, we're not going to spend money on the wall. It's like, yeah. wait a minute, you're going to tear down the wall? I mean, thank God Donald Trump took the steps to stop people from coming in with this disease, right? I mean, these people are crazy. I mean, really. I mean, that's a lunatic. We're gonna shut down. Okay, come on in. You know, come on in. Any, oh, yeah, we took a visit to the wall or the border this week, and it's, it's, it's astonishing because you see the barrier we have, and it's, it's fine. But just up on the hillside beyond the barrier before they had it, it was just an incredible slum that anybody could walk through is completely porous. Yeah. And that's, and, you know, think about viruses and disease. That's uh, exhibit A for why we, why we need the border. By the way, there is one thing that, the, that needs to be done from a policy point of view, Bill, that I feel very strongly about um, in response to what's happened in the last two weeks. You know, as many of you know that I was nominated by Trump to be on the Federal Reserve Board. I, I'm not that sorry I'm not on the board except this week because I would be shouting from the rafters. The Fed should have cut rates four days, four or five days ago as soon as this happened. So what we're seeing right now is a very, very steep decline in, in there's a, just like commodity prices, um, silver prices, copper prices, cotton prices, oil prices, gas prices are just falling like a stone because what's happening is there's a big rush on the dollar. Anytime you have a, a big global crisis like this, people tend to buy two things. What are they? Gold and dollars, mm -hmm. right? Because that's a rush yeah. to safety. So there's this massive... Um, you know, uh, demand for dollars globally right now, and the Fed is not accommodating. So when you have a huge increase in the demand for dollars and you don't do something, prices fall. That's a really dangerous thing. So the Fed should be, uh, should be doing something immediately. They should not wait until March. They should act instantaneously, and I think that would have a big effect in terms of, you know, stabilizing the economy. What are your friends in the White House saying right now? What's that? What, what, what's Andy, or what's... Uh... Larry's saying right now. Oh, he's saying pretty much the same thing that, you know, look, we just don't know. You how worked to together. For, you've written how many books together? Larry and I have done I guess two, Art Laffer and you have done, yeah, and I've done yeah. three. But, you know, Larry's basically saying um, we, we just don't know how severe this is going to be. It may just turn out to be another, you know, kind of 
bad flu. But um, you know, he basically made the point: the fundamentals of the U.S. economy really are incredibly strong right now. I mean, we are just sucking in capital from the rest of the world. The amazing thing is, we've been growing at a time when the rest of the world isn't. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, Europe is growing at less than one percent. Japan's practically in recession. Germany's practically in recession. China's economy is well, even before this virus, yeah, before, the, the before. China economy had fallen down to one two percent growth. Which country? China. China. We don't. You never know with China because they lie about their statistics. Yeah. But they they certainly were slowing down. And Germany, by the way, Germany, which has been all in on this green energy stuff, they've stalled out. They've destroyed their manufacturing sector. Everybody's looking at the United States. I mean, wasn't it amazing the reception that Donald Trump got in in India? I mean, that was amazing. I mean, the people around the they keep saying. I mean, I find this so, so ironic. The left says, "Oh, our standing in the world has fallen so much under Donald Trump. Everywhere he goes, he's treated like he's Mick Jagger, right? He's, he's like, <laughs> everybody loves Donald Trump, except the left wing media in the United States." <laughs> so, what advice do you have for us about how to how to feel right now with what's going on with the equity market? And, oh, look. You know, I'm, first of all, let me say this: if the economy stays as strong as it's been for the last three years, and I think there's a high likelihood of that, you know, then um, people do, American people don't vote against prosperity, right? They could put Mother Teresa on that stage, and by the way, you know, they're far from Mother Teresa, and Trump, I, I believe Trump is going to win a 40-state re-election landslide. Now, if it's Bernie Sanders as the candidate, then I think we could actually win uh, you know, 42, 44 states. I mean, you know, it's amazing what could happen under that scenario. And, you know, this is, you know, the, this kind of dovetails with what Mark Skousen was saying. The reason I'm for Bernie Sanders as their candidate is because let's have it out, right? Let's have the American people put side to side socialism and capitalism because we know the American people will make the right decision. We do not yeah. have socialism in our DNA. It is a failure everywhere. It is a failure everywhere. By the way, let me show you a chart on that. I know we're running out of time, but this is kind more. of a fun one. It comes from um, a, a report we do every year um, at the... Uh, This is so easy. I mean, this is just so simple, but it's such an obvious point. Freedom creates prosperity, and it creates better health and everything. So this is just, you know, we do at Heritage every year, this economic freedom index of the world. And this isn't complicated, right? Look at the most free countries versus the least free countries. And, you know, the most free countries are the United States, Switzerland, and a few others. And the least free countries are countries like North Korea and uh, countries like Cuba and countries like Venezuela. And look at this. I mean, by the virtue of the fact that we live in this great, 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 great country, we actually have a five to six times higher living standard than people live in these socialist countries. And by the way, we have better health. We have, we, Americans live 20 to 30 years longer than con- people who live in these socialist countries because they have terrible health, they have terrible education. Remember when Bernie Sanders said, oh, they have a great literary system, literacy system in Cuba. I mean, what the hell was he talking about? All they do is propagandize in that country. But the, le- the lesson here is you want to move left on the scale, right? I mean, I should say right, but you want to move towards freedom. And we, we want to move away from, uh, you know, from socialism, communism, Bernie Sandersism, whatever you want to call this stuff. And the tragedy is, and, and maybe since the lights are, uh, you know, blinking, I will maybe just end on this point, Bill. What we need to, we are paying a high price, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing the left to run our school system for the last 50 years. We are paying a very, very yeah. high price for that. And that cannot continue. 
When you have half of college graduates graduating saying we should be more like North, you know, more to the left than the right, they haven't learned the most important lesson, which again, Milton Friedman put it very well. The most important lesson of the last century is that freedom and free enterprise work and socialism everywhere it has been tried is a failure. And any kid who wants, who believes in socialism, the Steve Moore policy is let's give those kids a one-way ticket to Caracas, Venezuela, and spend three weeks there and see how much they like socialism. Last words. Okay. That was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Steve.